of Spin Media Friends proudly presents A Day in Your Life by Anand Krishnan, an Offspin original. Hi, my name is Anand and welcome to the ninth episode of the series A Day in Your Life. Today, we have with us Mohammad Saaduddin, famously known as Ayanik. Saad, as he is also known, is a brilliant blacksmith and an insane metal sculptor. Hi Saad, welcome to the show. Hi Anand, thank you for having me here. And yeah, hello to everybody listening. Thank you Saad. Could you tell me a little about yourself, where you were born and raised? So I'm born and raised in Hyderabad. Uh, spent most of my, all of my life here. And yeah, I'm a mechanical engineer by career or by qualification. Okay. But now I've got my own workshop. And yeah, I build things out of it. Amazing. So what all do you build? Um, From my workshop, yeah, I mean, I started off with uh, furniture, metal sculptures, motorcycles. And now it's sort of moved into blacksmithing, forging, knife making, tool making. And yeah, it's been like a very organic journey from where I started just learning how to weld. Okay. Uh, using scraps of metal. And now it's sort of turned into a very, I would say scientific and uh, craftsman kind of work that I do now, mm-hmm. which is good to see uh, me progress. Yeah. Wow. Saad, what made you move from your mechanical engineer career to forging? Yeah, I always liked physical activity. And uh, like I used to play a lot of sports when I was in college. And once you graduate and your friends get married and all, then you also turn into an uncle where you're not just <laughs> doing anything all day long. Yeah. But yeah, before that happened, I had uh, finished my master's in uh, America. And I had like, in those days, it was a very weird decision to come back to India after completing master's. Mostly people think that, okay, you've done your master's in America, you're going to settle down there, job there. Mm. But yeah, I took that decision to come back to Hyderabad. And I was looking for work here in Hyderabad, but I wasn't really getting any opportunities uh, because I was basically a fresh graduate without any experience. Moreover, because I had a master's degree, so that was even less job opportunities here. Okay. Which year was this? I don't remember. It was probably about 10, 12 years back, I think. Okay. But anyway, I got myself a welding machine. I thought, chalo, I mean, job to nahi mil rahi. Let us just at least start learning some skill because I always thought it weird that as an engineer, I know all the sort of how to do the calculations, how to design and plan stuff, but I don't really know how to make things, hmm. right? As a, I mean, I just found that very contradictory because uh, it's all on the computer designing and everything, but actually physical making, an engineer is supposed to know. Yeah. So I got myself a welding machine and I thought, chalo, let's start with learning how to weld. And I started just welding things. Welding in the sense, like I just started picking up projects so that I have a direction to go mm-hmm. when I'm working. So I started making a stool, a table and all. And again, being broke and not being able to buy steel and all, I used to go to scrap yards and look for steel Okay. and try to make things. So try to use whatever resources I had to make the project. In the process, I would learn how to weld, how to grind, how to take measurements, how to plan a project. Hmm. And yeah, so from furniture, I moved on to sculptures. Okay. And then slowly, I was always uh, entranced by blacksmithing and forging, like just being able to manipulate steel. Hmm. That was quite cool. So. Forging was always in the back of my mind, but I, before I actually got into it, there was a lot of YouTube that I watched trying to learn. Okay. No, there are no 
teachers that I had, most of it, I mean, I think all of it is self-taught. Okay. Which is good and bad, but yeah. So it was. Uh, so from sculptures, I slowly transitioned into forging and got better at it. Got a little bit more recognition, and now yeah, now I'm full time into forging. Awesome. That's my thing. Yeah. I must say that uh, eagle sculpture of yours, so uh, the eagle with the fuel tank, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, what is your day like usually from the time you wake up, you know, until the day ends? <laughs> so this was going to be the toughest question in the when you had told me that you're going to ask me about my day. If you would probably ask what's your week like, that would have been easier. Okay. But a day it varies every day depends on what projects that I'm doing and who and. Uh, Forging and blacksmithing is a very uh, physically demanding thing. Yeah. So sometimes when I don't feel like forging, I don't forge because if you if you're not in the mood or if your body is not doesn't feel right, yeah, you just make up mistake make mistakes and you mess up your work. So I've sort over like earlier I used to force myself to work. Okay, today I'm going to forge for five hours a day for no matter what. Yeah. But then at the end of it, you don't really you make mistakes. You do. small uh, errors in your forging and then you ruin your whole piece yeah slowly like that maturity has come in where i can relax a little bit and say okay today i'm not feeling it let's not forge today let's work on something else. okay and when i do feel like forging it feels nice but yeah so my day is nothing specific it really depends on the projects that are going on and all so it starts off very relaxing i don't wake up like really early in the morning wake up pretty late okay so yeah go to the workshop and just start out with uh, doing a little bit of design work little bit of uh, i think it escalates throughout the day i start off very slow and towards the end i'm end of the day i'm sweating and thirsty and my covered in uh, oxidized steel and yeah. grinding dust but yeah so go there and do a little bit of designing work just uh, try to sort out things maybe reply to messages on my instagram profile uh which i'm not very good at but i try to do that and then i if it's a forging day then i start the forge okay let it get warmed up and i start forging and the thing about forging is once you start forging if you you don't really need top forging until you're done with the work because then the forge is hot the gas is flowing the yeah the anvil is hot everything is ready you just got to keep going so forging usually goes on for about 4 to 5 hours or 6 hours Hmm. And yeah, and then uh, I close my shop around the say nine o'clock or ten o'clock. Okay. And head back home and take a bath. So yeah, there's this uh, saying that I've come across which I find quite apt is that there are like two kinds of jobs in the world. Mm-hmm. One where you got to take a bath before you go to work, <laughs> and the other is where you got to take a bath after you get after back. After you get to work. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Now. This again varies. Now, if I, there's a batch of knives that are working, so uh, it's it's a lot more grinding and planning it out and also, it's I would say it's like a frenzy of activity. If you're looking at a week, it's a frenzy of activity for like grinding the knives, getting everything ready hmm. for heat treat. And once the heat treat is going on, it's more relaxed. So like those days are a little bit more relaxed. So I spend time on designing my next project, planning out something. building some new tools for my workshop and all yeah and then once the, like the heat treat it's basically the knives are in the oven and they've got to be there for about like 4 hours hmm. and yeah so you're basically just watching the heat the temperatures and just trying to maintain the correct temperature so there's not much that you're doing activity wise okay and then the heat treat is done then you're doing the finishing hand sanding that's also a little bit calmer process where you're not using the machines you're doing it by hand you've got to focus 
and also those things i prefer doing it in the evening so i'm a little bit more relaxed okay and then you make the handles you put an edge on them then you do the packaging and all and then again there's a calm that's again frenzy mm. and then little calmer period where the packages are done and i don't know i've realized this that i don't once i complete a batch of knives i don't really send them off to the owners immediately okay i try to sit with them for a couple of days i just don't know why maybe i just like soaking it in that okay mm-hmm. i have like completed the this patch and try to look at it and see how i can improve where i have improved and how i can improve the next time and all and then so a couple of days i like maybe a day i take off for yeah. that nice and then yeah and then dispatch them i really like what you do at the last you know or you sit over your finished product because that's kind of what i do with my stuff also you know with the whole process of uh, you know making something or you know cleaning up uh, audio as in my profession mm-hmm. i really can't understand the mistakes that i've made when i come back to it the next day and maybe when i play back things i could perhaps you know spot things that i might have missed out the previous day exactly olio like you were saying there's always ways to improve yeah and uh, to sort of become better even if you think you've completed something yeah and also i think i feel like i deserve that little break with the things that i have created or little spend a little bit of time with them uh, after all the chaos of making it designing it fabricating it and making it just sit with them and just enjoy that little moment with them amazing and then yeah and then move on to the next project So how is it to be working with metal all the time creating all the wonderful sculptures and the amazing knives that you craft out <laughs> Thank you How do you do it I don't know it's just something that I like to do and luckily I've been able to like make a business out of it right now Right now I would say it's a business earlier if somebody said what I do is a business I'd be very offended no. But right now I would have to be honest with myself and say okay because once I quit my job uh it's something that i had to learn the business aspect of it to keep money coming in but yeah to come to your question i really don't know i mean it just happened how do i do it i mean there are days where i don't feel like doing it at all mm. and like i said those days i relax but uh, there are days where i really want to make forge and i quite enjoy it and it's a very rewarding experience i would say mm. because usually like when you look at steel or iron or metal you really look at it as a very structural thing and very rigid and it doesn't you think ki it's it's a very stiff material yeah but uh, trying to manipulate it into these organic shapes or trying to make them into very sharp very nice looking knives and all that sort of gives me a different ex- rewarding feeling to be able to do that okay and yeah awesome so now you tell us what are the knives and tools that you make in your forge and uh, please describe them for us okay so uh, i do I, i have a standard designs three okay. standard designs that i offer that mm-hmm. is uh, two of them are so they all stainless steel so they are 440c high carbon stainless steel okay and they are edc knives so they are the askari the shikari and the dastur the dastur is a more of a, is a kitchen knife it's okay. a more like a versatile kitchen knife it's not like a specific to one use yeah so the dasur is like the largest knife but that is the biggest knife that i offer okay and then there's the askari and the shikari the askari is more like a pocket knife i would say mm-hmm. both of them are edc knives but the askari is more pocket friendly so you can just dump it in your like pocket or in your backpack and like not even think about 
that you're carrying a knife it's just there so you're going camping and all you can just put it i'm sorry what is edc edc is everyday carry so this is this thing about people that carry stuff every like they so sesame knives and small uh, little keychains and all those are all edcs so okay. like a cigarette lighter yeah uh, like a small knife you know yeah so that's everyday carry okay and the shikari is a little bit larger than the askari but it's got a lot more comfortable handle hmm. so if you're out camping uh, bushcrafting uh, and yeah so the shikari is better suited for that it's the blade is the same almost the same size as the askari the handle is a lot more comfortable and that's priced at the high end because i give a few exotic wood handles options to the patrons hmm. and it gets a bigger lanyard and yeah it's got a false edge at the top it's got a thumb uh, groove so yeah a little bit more detail in that knife awesome apart from that i make these tools for woodworkers and leather workers uh, normally what's what happens is that these high quality tools for them they have to source it either from uh, the states or from europe or england and all and it, by the time it arrives here with customs and everything it becomes quite expensive okay so i started developing these with the aim of having it in house like developing it in india so those are doing pretty well so at least people who've used it have said that they are on par or if not better than uh, the ones that they import from outside amazing so there's carving knives for leather there's uh, draw knives for woodworking there are carving knives for spoon makers and yeah and then there are marking knives there old fast so i'm i'm sure like all of this must be greek to you but for mm. people who are in the craft i think these are things that are quite sought after yeah which is also good because i've what i've sort of slowly realizing is that the more i'm sort of making these tools for these crafts people here mm-hmm. the more i see the craft growing in our country yeah uh, because i think the tools are more accessible which is quite again quite rewarding to know that yeah that you're able to contribute something back to the uh, community right so that's also good and then the big one that i do is damascus steel so i make something called damascus steel knife so for your listeners who don't really know basically it's a very ancient form of making forges which were really high quality but also the steel had a little had a pattern in them hmm. and that pattern was quite sought after okay and uh, yeah so right now we don't really make true damascus what we are making is pattern welded damascus but yeah so i used to make uh, damascus uh, knives superb yeah i am a big fan of the the swords that you made right recently you know the one that had uh, some very nice inlay on the blade thank you the storage box for the knives also look amazing what is your process in making them the boxes are made by another carpenter friend of mine uh, he is a uh, he's quite young he's still learning so he he wanted to learn how to again work with wood okay so i told him like why don't you just make some boxes and he is doing a very great job with making the boxes hmm. but the embellishments on the boxes like the engraving at the top is again is designed by another local artist from hyderabad uh, she does a lot of these uh, parametric art i'm not sure what it's called but yeah a lot of this parametric art mm-hmm. and i wanted a very sort of deccan influenced design and mm. she did the design on it and then i just engraved it on the boxes yeah and she's also done a design on 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 that particular knife that was an experimental knife so she did a design for the knife also okay. and i got that engraved on on the knife so i again back to the point of continuously improving i even though this is like a very batch produced knife mm. i try to start imp- try to improve the whole experience of 
having the knife like with the from the box to the finishing to the packaging and everything hmm. so that i don't know it just makes me feel nice to be able to give nice things to my patrons so yeah awesome and what about the blade what's your process in making the blade uh if it's en31 high carbon steel uh, i forge it out okay uh but if it's uh, stainless steel stainless steel you can forge it but if you don't maintain the temperatures correctly the chromium in the steel burns off and it doesn't remain stainless steel anymore okay so i prefer laser cutting the stainless steel okay so i mean the actual design work starts on the software i 3d model everything i sort of get my dimensions right i get the try to get the shape close to right i 3d print mock ups and see if i'm happy with it then i go to like a wooden prototype where i hold it in my hand and i see how it feels and try to adjust it and then put it back in the system when the software and make those adjustments and then if it's stainless steel i send it out for laser cutting okay so the blanks of the blade are laser cut and they come back to me and then you sit and you grind them and if there's a little balance if you grind it too thin the blade warps during heat treatment if you grind it too thick then once it's heat treated it's very hard so to grind it thin after heat treatment ends up eating up a lot of your belts and a lot of your time okay so i grind it to a level where i think it is safe like i've lost entire batches because i've ground them too thin i've got greedy ground them too thin and then uh, lost them in the heat treat because they warped or they bent mm. so you grind the blades and then uh, you put it in for heat treating and the heat treating there are basically two processes one is the hardening of the heat of the steel which basically makes the steel really really hard so that the edge is maintained the other is the tempering of the steel where you are relaxing the stresses in the steel a little bit so that uh, the knife doesn't uh, shatter because once the steel is hard it's almost like glass so it shatters okay into like lots of tiny bits if there's an impact on it so you temper it so to relax a little bit of the stresses and uh, and then yeah the knife is proper like that's how a knife should be not too hard not too soft yeah okay is this tempering a cryogenic one no so that is something that you do for stainless steel the cryogenic treatment is that you put it in uh, dry ice uh-huh, right. or sub zero temperatures for about like i do it for 48 hours but you can probably just do it for one day and it should be fine and that increases the toughness of the steel so uh, it uh, increases the resilience of the edge okay so i don't know you probably can see videos on my instagram where you can just chop a piece of hard pine wood and it's still sharp enough the edges maintained enough to slice through paper super in one go so yeah and then the heat treatment process is a little bit more relaxing the knives are in the oven and they bring it up to temperature you harden them so the now again something unique about stainless steel is that it air hardens so normally you see high carbon steels they take it take the hot knife and they dip it in oil Hmm. but uh, stainless steel you don't need to dip it in oil you can air harden so basically you clamp it and then you just blow air over it and it becomes hard. okay so that's what we do for stainless steel and then it goes into the cryo treatment and then it goes for tempering so two cycles two tempering cycles and then that's the blades ready for the final grinding and then the blades are ready for final grinding grind the blades down to the final thickness edge thickness that i want and then sit and hand sand them to to the final final finish that i want and then i start working on the hand so the handles now this is a very nice shift that i enjoy from mm. moving from working on the steel blades to the handles because the handles are wood yeah and wood is like muska to work with once you're done grinding the steel 
and like spending hours trying to get a scratch out mm. a few scratches out then you move to the wood and just have it so fast because wood is so much softer yeah and then i work on the handles and especially especially for the dastoors once the handle is done then you've got to work on the balance of the knife for a kitchen knife the balance is also quite important yeah so then i sort of start mating every knife to its handle mm. and there's a little pin that i put at the back that is the balancement mm. and you insert that pin and try to get the center of gravity of the knife right where you want it at the pinch point and then yeah you glue both of them together and give them a sharpen test it out and then you start working on the boxes so, awesome yeah and uh, how uh, long are the blades 8 inch or 9 inch uh, i think the the suits are 7 7 1/2 inches okay i think that's more than ideal yeah for a kitchen knife yeah true you can go for longer knives but i think they they're a little bit unwieldy yeah uh, to use and also i try to stay within the guidelines of the arms act of india okay so it's uh, i mean they are not like any strict rules about what kind of like how was the longest blade length for a knife they're just guidelines so okay. i just stay within that to be just sure that i'm not doing anything illegal Now for my favorite question how did you get to making Damascus knives okay i've seen some of your designs and they are amazing you know especially the ones that you made for Veer Nakai thank you could you tell me the process in making a Damascus knife yeah Damascus is probably the most is like the epitome of knife making mm. and very weirdly i started off with learning how to make Damascus steel and then now i've gone down to making like mono steels like the stainless steel and the high carbon steel but yeah so the damascus was again lots of youtube lots of searching forums and trying to understand firstly uh, what kind of steels to use what kind of steels would be apt because usually what these the steels that you get in america and uh, anywhere else uh, you don't get them in india okay uh, you even the nomenclature of the steel is different so if it's like 1084 in america it's not going to be the same here in india so okay. i had to do fair bit of research trying to first of all get the compositions of the steel and trying to match it with a composition of steel that we get here in india hmm. and once i sort of got close to it then i started looking for the material because also the steel has to be available in like a usable form if you've got to buy like 1 ton of it and if it's in like bar like 2 inches thick bars yeah it's useless for me i need it to be at least 2 mm thick sheets hmm. so lot of calls on india mart and all to places in punjab delhi bombay and all mm-hmm. and then i started buying little bit few samples of steel and trying to see which works so the idea about damascus is you're basically using two different alloys of steel mm-hmm. and you're welding them together and you're sort of manipulating them to a pattern so that when you dip it in acid the acid eats away the different layers at different rates mm-hmm. and then the pattern emerges mm-hmm. so now these two steels have to be sort of very similar in composition but also different because the acid has to eat it away separately hmm. the the forging temperature should match the forge welding temperature should match the the hardening temperature should be in the same range because if a, if one steel hardens at a higher temperature the other one hardens at lower temperature when you quench it they're going to split apart hmm. so i'm sorry if it's going very very technical for your podcast this is like lot of detail okay i'm trying to understand what you're saying and yeah right yeah so once the compositions match i got uh, different uh, samples of steels from like a friends workshop so just going to balanagar i mean 
industrial areas here in Hyderabad and trying to get it. And then I started trying to forge weld them together, even though I had never forge welded before. So okay. part of it was the learning experience was firstly me learning how to forge weld at the same time learning how to forge weld on pieces of steel that might not want to forge weld together also. Mm. So that was a very frustrating period. But once I settled on a sort of composition or a recipe that worked, that was really good. So that is how I got into Damascus steel making. So I finally discovered two steels that worked for me. Mm. And then I found a supplier in Bombay who was able to provide it. In, in the, it was still like large quantities, but still something's better than nothing. So I got like a bunch of steel from him. Okay. And that set me off on the Damascus project and then yeah Veer Nakai has been uh, following my work for quite some time and I really appreciate patrons who sort of give me the freedom hmm. to to just like they just say hey, you go do you you do you and don't worry about the budget don't worry about anything just they want a kitchen knife so for his father I had that was my first Damascus knife I had made a 150 layer Damascus knife for his father insane and then later on yeah I mean, right. Uh, th- at that point, I think yeah, 150 was like the max and I was so proud that I could do 150 layers. But right now, I think the highest I've done is about 800, uh, 800 to 900 layers I think, for uh, the last Damascus knife that I did. Wow. But then later on, I'm not sure which one are you talking about. Are you talking about the farm Chennai knife or yeah. you're talking about the yeah. highway knife? The farm Chennai knife. Ah, yeah. okay. The farm Chennai knife. Okay. That's a very... Easy to manipulate pattern that uh, it's more like a ripple of uh, layers of steel that are passing through the blade. Hmm. We I take three knives for me and yeah the farm knife was again uh, something that he wanted for a friend of his. So and yeah that knife came out pretty well. That was my first first time doing a forged integral knife and yeah quite happy with it. Superb. So now I'm going to ask you what is the process of sharpening a knife? Here in the city, you know, we have a a guy with a cycle in the metal wheel that Mm -hmm. spins and sharpens. Yeah. Uh, From my understanding, I don't think we should be doing that because that grinds away, you know, the metal in your knife. Right. Uh, Yeah. What is your process of sharpening a knife? I mean, no disrespect to those guys. Like, that is fine. They're they're sharpening a knife. But like you said, it's not the right way of doing it. But those are the resources that they have. Correct. Again, the resources at my workshop also are much more different. And uh, I use certain processes that work for me because I have the tools or I have built the tools that need to do it on a continuous basis. Hmm. But for sharpening a knife, you need a very say, very straight edge when you're looking down the length of a knife. Like when you're looking down the point of a knife, hmm. you want a straight edge. And you want a consistent angle throughout the blade. Okay. So you've... Uh, for me, I've got jigs and setups to be able to sharpen it at a constant, consistent angle. But for others at home who are sharpening the knives, uh, I feel a lot of people sort of know, understand that they've got to move it along the sharpening stone hmm. and at a specific angle. But they second guess the angle at every stroke. Um, yeah. I would say you find the angle, you commit to that angle, even if it's wrong, doesn't really matter. I mean, you have to maintain an angle. That's very important more than maintaining a angle like suppose the angle is 14 degrees i mean if it's 15 degrees or 13 degrees or 12 degrees doesn't really matter as long as it's that same angle throughout the edge of the knife yeah so yeah my advice would be to don't second guess put a take a marker and just uh, color up the edge of the knife and then do a stroke and see what is get what part of the marker is getting rubbed out what's not and then keep 
stroking it until all of the markers getting dropped out on it. Hmm. That's about it. And then you just remove the burr by stropping it on a leather belt or something. You're good to go. Awesome. For kitchen knives, there's something else. Uh, for kitchen knives, you've not only just got to sharpen the edge, you've also got to thin the steel behind the edge. Hmm. So to be able to maintain the slice because as you're sharpening a blade i would say the part right above the edge is getting thicker and thicker so you want to thin that out so kitchen knives have that extra step where you're also uh, grinding away the part slightly above the edge i mean it's very difficult to explain on a podcast if you were on a zoom call or something i'd just put a marker and just draw what all parts to yeah focus on but yeah So apart from making knives and playing around with metal, what else do you like doing? This completely absorbs me um, because it doesn't feel like a job for me. Like I said, I can go to work anytime that I feel like. Mm. And since I am the only, it's a one-man workshop. So uh, I can go to work and just do whatever I'm in the mood of doing and not have to worry about meeting like a deadline or trying to keep somebody happy. So I would say... If I'm not doing this, then I'm doing this. So awesome. yeah, even if uh, this is like basically consumes everything that I do, because even if I'm just sitting around and all, I'm just planning other projects in my mm. head or doing it. But recently I've started getting into a lot of uh, traveling. Oh, wow. With motorcycling and also, also a lot of, uh, I mean, a little bit of trail riding. So I'm trying to learn how to uh, off-road. And then we've gone on a couple of big tours on on the bike with my wife. And they are planning to do more of those in the future. What advice would you have for people, you know, who want to get into this field? I'd say just get started somewhere. Okay. And it doesn't have to be forging, like just get started. I I see a lot of people like to do, especially with Instagram and YouTube, with so many uh, creators making content. Yeah. A lot of people have been watching it and sort of it's starting to... uh, brainwash them into wanting to do this which is a good thing Hmm. but i definitely understand that in a place like india it's very difficult to do yeah to set up a workshop like this uh, especially with the tools and the noise and the stuff i mean the chaos that it generates yeah but i mean the main thing is to just get started so get yourself an angle like you don't even have to forge your knife out like if you're interested in knife making don't have to forge it out you don't need to have a gas forge and an anvil and a ham hmm. you just go buy go to your chore bazaar or your sunday market buy some old saw blades and all get it home take an angle grinder cut it out and take a file and just grind the bevels in i mean that's as simple as it can get and obviously it's not going to happen overnight it didn't happen to me overnight yeah it's or not even over a year it's taken me a while to get here but uh, and i am again i try to tell people whoever like i meet and all is that i am a glorified blacksmith because i am on instagram correct there are a lot of these other traditional blacksmiths out there every city and every locality will have some of them yeah you can go sit with them i'm sure they'll be more like more than happy to show you or more than happy to let you watch yeah. And sort of start from there. Uh, I mean, you can watch them work. They have different techniques of working from what what I do is a very uh, Western kind of forging where I'm standing at the anvil and I'm forging. The other people are sitting down and forging. Yeah. They have a coal forge. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just get out there and do it. Like, we don't have creators like YouTube and Instagram in India, but we definitely have a lot of craftsmen 
who are there yeah. you just have to go find them and they'll be there once you start looking for them and just spend some time with them get to know them they'll also feel nice that people are interested in their work yeah and yeah slowly get dip your toes little by little awesome that's what i would say yeah super Saad, would you have any fun, memorable incident that you would want to share with the listeners? Okay, now it has turned into a page three. <laughs> yeah. Um, not really. Like I say, life is a blur. Days are a blur for me because there's just so much going on and all. But it's always nice to have people while I'm forging to walk, passers by, especially hmm. walk by the workshop and just stop and take a look at the work and. Uh, and then yeah and then they say that they watch forged in fire and they never knew that they'll be seeing something like that in here in badon or okay on the road side so yeah i mean that is always nice and heartwarming to hear about them and a lot of kids also stop by and try to see me work so yeah awesome saad i think this was a really nice conversation uh thank you for having me and hearing me out thank you everybody else also who's listening in Yeah this is my first podcast by the way I always thought it's about people sit- sitting around a mic and just talking about worldly affairs <laughs> not worldly affairs but just general conversations could be anything okay though you are in hyderabad and i am in mumbai we are sitting in front of a mic and having a conversation okay yeah quite nice awesome thank you so much sad i wish you the best okay thank you anand thank you everyone love us you just heard a day in your life an offspin original created and produced by anant krishnan this show is live and available on spotify apple podcasts audible amazon music savan gana wink and every other place we thought hosted podcasts give the offspin team a like maybe a subscribe on their instagram page and be in touch we love hearing from you keep listening to content from offspin media friends and keep glistening the opinions expressed in the show are personal to the guests and the host and do not necessarily represent the opinions of the producer or the platform this show does not intend to defame and denigrate any individual or organization in india or outside the show is created for entertainment purposes only it does not encourage smoking drinking or any kind of substance use it may contain the use of harsh language that may be considered offensive rude or profane by the listeners it may also contain incidents that mention or describe mental health issues casteism suicide and violence listeners are advised to use their discretion